Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mark Schwarzer, Thomas Sorensen, and Michael Bridges join me as we wrap up the biggest stories from the weekend, including managerial sackings, left, right, and center. Were they too harsh or who is next? Before we look forward to a jam-packed weekend of international football and, of course, our Socceroos back on home soil. What we love, what we don't love, all that and plenty more coming up on The Gagan Pod. What's happening, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Gagan Pod. I've got my all-star cast back once again, Mark Schwarzer, Thomas Sorensen, and Mike Bridges. We're going to dive straight into it as we wrap up all the club football and move towards an international weekend. Tommy, I'm going to start with you. The manager axe continues to swing. We saw it at your former club, Aston Villa. Dean Smith has been relieved of his duties and the latest rumor to come out in the last 24 hours that Kasper Hulman may be the man to replace him, the Danish international coach. What have you made of it all? Uh, you know, again, I think it's been a bit surprising. We, we, we talked about it last week and I actually said that Smith and Farg was, was on the line. I didn't expect him to go this week, I must say. And uh, I feel a little bit sorry for, for Dean Smith because he, he's actually done a, a great job when the, when the club was in turmoil. He came in, uh, leveled the ship. Uh, you know, they were in the League Cup final last year. And, uh, you know, he's been hit a bit with injuries, uh, had, had to play some. I was just looking at the bench this week. You know, he had Ramsey, Archer, Keenan Davis. You know, these are 20 olds and you can't expect them to come, on, come in and, and change games. Uh, and they paid a price really for some bad set plays. And then I think the Wolves game was a huge turning point because they had that in a bag, lost it, and then they lost momentum. And, uh, yeah, still haven't um, been able to to bed uh, Leon Bailey and and Buendia into to the team uh, to to yeah to replace Grealish really, who was the talisman. So I feel for him, but uh, Yulman, uh, I hope he doesn't leave Denmark because he's doing a fantastic job there. Uh, but but he's a good manager, a little bit like Frank at at Brentford. You know, he's got that same ethos, uh, build build the team spirit. Uh, you know. You know, he's great into character. You know, his his tactical knowledge is is extremely good. He's been he's been around. His philosophy is is spot on. Um, so you know, I think Villa will be happy if they get him, but uh, I hope not because I want him to stay with Denmark and and, and take us to the World Cup. <laughs> Almost. Do you reckon? Do you reckon he would leave Denmark? Just you know, leading up to a World Cup not far away. Um, obviously, Denmark did brilliantly well at the the Euros. Do you reckon he would leave and go? The, that, you know, not far away from the World Cup. I don't think he'll leave now. Um, you know, again, you know, the, the opportunity can be too good. The money can be too good. But I think, you know, the, the vibe I get from from the, from the team, from him, um, you know, obviously, as you said, the Euros, the fantastic performance. I think he wants to at least do the World Cup. Um, and, and hopefully after that, then... Uh, I, I think these opportunities will be enticing to him, but I, I don't think he'll go now. And uh, yeah, sadly, I think Villa will uh, have to look elsewhere. 
So according to last week where, where Thomas said that Dean Smith and Farkle wouldn't go, so then he's definitely going to go to Villa, isn't he? <laughs> no, no, I said they were on the I said they were on the, the hot seat. Yeah, but you didn't think they were gonna go this week though, didn't you? You said like you were nah, surprised yeah, it went this week. Yeah. So sorry I got it wrong. Yeah, I got it wrong. You got the timing <laughs> wrong, mate. You gotta do better next time. According to Mark Schwartzer, I think Claudio Ranieri only has about six weeks left. Bridgie, uh, we spoke at length about the Norwich sacking as well. They finally get their first win of the season and Daniel Farke is let go. I mean, is this, that, that one seemed like it was coming for quite some time, but we now have five sackings in the first 11 rounds. Are we just pulling the trigger too soon? What's going on? Oh, it's been absolutely frightening. I mean, the, the rumours going around about Farker is that they, some of the journals actually knew at half time or halfway through the second half. There, there was a lot of speculation that he was on his way. Now, if you look at his interview after the game, and the way I saw Tim Krul celebrating with him and the way he plays, he had he had no idea. Hmm. Um, and I, I really thought that that was harsh. The, this has happened in the past, by the way. There's been, um, I think Martin Yall was the best at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, the story that I've, I've heard on that one, and a lot of people would have done that he got sacked um, and he didn't even have a clue. He, he was reading it in the newspaper the following morning. So this kind of thing does happen. It's very harsh. I did think it was... I didn't think it would happen to Falcon, to be honest with you, after Thomas talked about it, because I thought he was on a really good thing there. They were happy whether they went up or down. He seems to be the man that can bounce them back, how long that trend can continue. Dean Smith caught me out. I've got to say that was... Um, I thought he had credit in the tank. I think they've pulled the trigger far too early. I still think he's got unfinished business. It was a testing time for him, no doubt about it, but that's how you become better better managers and the players around you um, go on that journey with you. So I felt that he had a little bit more time. Newcastle United was inevitable. Um, since the new consortium took over Steve Bruce, that was always going to happen if it had been Mike Ashley. I think Bruce had a job there until, until the end of his um, reign. And then the other one was Spurs. Um, Nuno Espirito Santa, that's what I backed them all the way. But um, obviously, it, after the first three games, it was looking so promising. And then, obviously, it just everything fell to pieces. And I think what Daniel Levy did, has done, which probably the only time I'm going to say I, I'm delighted with some of the business he's done, he realised that Man United were sniffing with Conte. Um, and there's not, you know, it was, a, it was a good opportunity to get somebody in to, to, like I say, kick some backsides, change the, I think, sort them players out and try to have a go because it, it did look like the players had actually lost the motivation under Nuno. So it's been an incredible, um, an incredible week. Some of them I agree with, some of them I don't. Yeah, it's interesting because you just feel like when you see the players, I mean, Arsenal, there were rumours after three games that they would potentially get rid of Mikel Arteta. I mean, they've, they've stuck with him. He went on to win manager of the month. He's doing brilliantly. As a player, Schwartzy, thinking back to your career, do you ever remember any time when managerial sackings, do the players have too much power? Did you know before the manager knew or any, any memories of managerial sackings from your career? Um, it was early on in my career where it was like a honestly it was a manager uh, roundabout going on like it was just changeover of managers left right and center. so in Germany first club in Dresden I think we had three managers in the same season um, and one left actually he left had a chance to go to Japan left and then new manager came in Horst Rubisch who played for Germany uh, scored some big goals for them um, the Euros back in the day and he lovely guy really top guy and um he was kind of always dead, dead man walking because you don't start picking up results the the the, the president was ruthless and he, and he showed it he was ruthless and got rid of him after i think like two months mm. and you kind of know the writings on the wall same as happened when i went to kaiser's lot and where the manager go i think it was 
probably it was just after Christmas, actually. I think it was around January, February time he got the sack as well. And it just seemed you kind of knew it was going to happen. You just wondered when it was going to happen unless unless something dramatically changed. But when you're when you're in that group, I don't know what you guys think, but you you generally get a feel of whether or not uh, and people talk. So you know whether players are with the manager or not with the manager. And you know whether he's lost the change room or hasn't. And sometimes there's a divide. Actually, a lot of times there's a divide. There's the divide of the guys who are playing, and then the divide is the guys that are not playing. They're, they're obviously annoyed they're not playing. And it just depends where the power lies. And then do some of the guys that are playing get swung, and then all of a sudden it, it, the change room becomes not a very healthy environment. But that generally, not in the clubs that I've been in, at anyway, that very rarely, I think, has, has had a say in whether the manager stayed or, or went. Swartzy, were you at Chelsea with um, Villas Boas or not? No, no, no. Mourinho, I, I, I came after, I was like Mourinho's first signing when he really signed. Apparently, I was like, I was his number one target, apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> you better check what you're drinking that <laughs> cup of tea or coffee of yours, mate, because I can smell a bit of BS there. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. It got us thinking here at Optus Sport, Tommy, about the harshest manager sackings of all time. And there have been a few just in the last 10 years that spring to mind. But what, in your opinion, is the harshest manager sacking in the Prem? You know, now talking about Chelsea, I think we can look at uh, a, few, a, few, a few of theirs, uh, you know, who, who, you know, Di Matteo, who, who won the he took over, won the Champions League, uh, did reasonably well, and then got sacked. Uh, I think probably the the weirdest uh, was probably from last season. I think uh, Frank de Boer at, at Crystal Palace, like he was there for seventy something days, only only I think thirty days uh, in charge actually on the field, uh, and and got sacked after four games. Um, you know that was a weird, harsh. You know it just seems well. Why would you? Why would you? <laughs> go through the due diligence with a manager and then sack him after four games doesn't make any sense. Uh, but I think Chelsea, Watford, uh, those clubs, uh, I think, can have four or five managers in that top 10. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Chelsea, I think, definitely top. Uh, they've had some some shockers as well. Um, you know, uh, yeah, Di Matteo is probably Ancelotti as well, who, who did well for them and, and got sacked. Abramovich got a, a happy tricker. I, I think uh, with, with Di Matteo, I think also it was what's going on behind the scenes. So players, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think they, they very much realised um, that he, you know, he did had the effect. The, a lot of the players actually did all, a lot of the work and took them over the line and they won the Champions League. Of course, he's got, he's got a... And then there's a bit like what I said about Ranieri, you know, about at, at, at Leicester. He managed the situation at the time really, really well. And the second season when he started to... To have well took more more on and actually made more decisions, then it all went pear shaped because he was great at just managing the overall situation and letting it all unfold. But then when he actually had to make his own decision, it wasn't great. But what I heard about Crystal Palace was that that uh, when De Boer came in, he tried to change too much too quickly, and also he wanted to turn them into basically the Ajax of 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 England, you know. And and I don't think yeah. Palace were at the time ready for it and obviously didn't have the players to do it. And I think the club then panicked after losing a couple of games. And I think from my understanding as well, the relationship turned sour pretty quickly. Is, um, and, so and, and, and yeah. This is that Dutch philosophy sporty. Yeah. The, the one that we brought in the FFA curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. The one there that is didn't a, develop at Crystal Palace neither. 
Yeah, but I see. I mean, I, I think when you look at the the Dutch, I mean, going obviously a, a bit of a, a sideward step here. But if you if you talk about the Dutch philosophy in terms of overhauling an overall system where you're wanting to develop kids from a young age all the way up, I mean, that, that, that's different to taking over a team and whether there's promotion and relegation involved and and trying to change things over a couple of months rather than you know we're talking when you when you're implementing a a uh, like a a whole criteria. Um, it's a completely oh, I, I, different timescale. Yes, exactly. It's a 10-year, five-year, 10-year project. It's not a, not an overnight thing. So yeah. I don't think – I think the two can't be really I – mean, I know what you're saying, but I don't think they can be directly uh, compared. Okay. And Schwartz, you mentioned there about Ranieri. He was good at doing the best with the situation that was there, but as soon as he had to start making his own decisions, that was his failure. Is that what you're seeing with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Eric United? I, you know what, I'm actually surprised he's lasted as long as he has. Hmm. I, I, I was surprised that um, obviously he went on that incredible run when he first took over, and, and then there was a period afterwards where where things didn't go so well for him. And I was surprised he actually lasted that period of time. And then, you know, we're, we're what three years down the line, and he's still in charge. Um, I think United are just in that thing and uh, that position whereby they, they, they've tried they've tried the the sure thing, the su- supposed sure thing, as we all know in Van Hal, Mourinho, and then obviously the next one was Conte. And I just don't think, I, I just think that they were just so afraid of the whole Conte image and persona mm. um, and personality. And you see it whether it was at Chelsea, Inter Milan, Juve. And I just don't think United wanted that. That's why they, obviously they mustn't have, because that's why they chose not to, not to um to take him on. Because if if they thought there's no doubt in my mind, I reckon if they thought he was the right man, they would have taken him. They would have they would have made the change. But I just don't think they think at the moment the right person's available. I wouldn't be surprised if United are waiting for Pochettino. Oh wow. I mean, he's flying high, he's top of the league in France by quite yeah. a bit. But it just feels like <laughs> it's so not he quite should working. Be. <laughs> yeah, but it just feels like prizes you're there. It just feels strange, doesn't it, Schwartz? It doesn't feel like it's the right match. No, as in you, who Pochettino? You mean Pochettino with PSG? Oh, no, I agree with you. And and yeah. and there are rumbles coming out of Paris about mm. in the media they were talking about the fact that the change room don't speak in French, and apparently it's kind of an unwritten rule at the club that all new players, and which is understandable, you're in France, and you know you want people to speak in the language, right? And 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 apparently the dressing room basically speaks either English or Spanish. Um, so the French speaking ones are not particularly happy about it. And the club, I think as an identity are not particularly happy with that mm. and add to the mix that Messi seemingly is not overall, overall enthused by it all, um, the situation and not really going that well. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes to a head. I, I really wouldn't. I mean, he's got a clause in his contract where he can go home whenever he wants. So even though he's been injured the last few weeks, him and Paredes jumped on a plane and they're back in Argentina. So a bit of a shambles in the way it's run over there. Bridgie, I'm going to bring it back to the Prem with you. We're talking managers. Eddie Howe was finally announced by Newcastle. Is there a sense of, I mean, you had to be realistic with who you could get in. I know names were tossed around like Unai Emery and Antonio Conte at one stage, but you're the only, Newcastle is the only winless team in the Prem. Eddie Howe seems like a pretty good outcome, right? Um, he, he does when you consider the managers that are, we've been talked about, and I, you know, money money talks. Don't get us don't get us wrong, but managers like Unai Emery and Conte, they've they've got CVs and they want to keep the track record good. They don't want to have a relegation on their CV, and it's a it's a huge gamble just because there's been a takeover and there's going to be talk of signs in January. It doesn't guarantee you that you're going to stay in the Premier League. 
So, you know, there's a there's a little bit of that going on in the background when you're looking at the takeover thinking, you know, this is a, a tough, tough battle to come into. And I don't think the that's a situation they're going to have with players. Are they really going to be able to sign or is it going to be loan deals and looking for players um, that aren't going to commit to a long-term contract? Because obviously the uncertainty, once they get to next season, they're safe in the Premier League in the off-season, they'll have a right good go. And at this moment in time, Eddie Howe, um, you know, he, he, he's got a fantastic track record with players that he's developed and brought through um, over the through the leagues as well in England. Uh, he's now teamed up again with Callum Wilson, um, Ryan Fraser and Richie. Whether him and Fraser are going to get on, I don't know, because there's an interesting thing happened at Bournemouth, if you remember, when lockdown came in, Fraser decided not to sign a contract and refused to play for Bournemouth, which ended up they got relegated. So whether Eddie Howe holds a grudge against um, Fraser remains to be seen. Um, but I'm, I'm actually really, really um, happy with the appointment. I've got to say that. Um, and I like what Amanda Steveley said about the, you know, he's he's seen the vision, he's seen what we want to do over the next couple of years, and he's taken a real interest in the academy. He's asked the questions. However, it nearly fell through because I think he wants to bring some of his staff. How many he's allowed to bring, I don't know, because they've still got Steve Agnew, Steve Clement on the book, and obviously um, Jones is really well thought of uh, at the football club at all levels. So I'm, I'm happy with the appointment, I've got to say, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he's going to do. I just find it really weird that, or bizarre. I, I, what, what, what is the vision of the club? You know, surely they need to bring in a director of football to to have that vision in place. I think that's been part of their issue, and that's why, you know, when you saw, you know, Emery, um, the Dutch manager, uh, all said the same thing, had reservations about the club, or what certainly was reported that way about the direction of the club. They're talking about Michael Emanello, Michael who was at Chelsea recently at Monaco uh, as a director of football, um, you know, which is, which is interesting. I, mean, I, know, I know him personally and, and he's a really good guy and, and he obviously had a really good time at Chelsea um, and didn't quite work out for him at Monaco. But I think that's something they needed to put in place before. And have a vision. Do you and not plan think and... they're wait? Do you not think they're waiting, Swarty? That I think that's probably the most important position that they're going to have to fill in the next few months going into January. But surely that's all linked, isn't it? That's all linked to the manager, right? I mean, surely... I think it ha- it has to. Otherwise, you know, you, yeah. again, you're talking you're talking about a plan. Everyone needs to be on the on the same page from the start. You can't have people pulling in different directions, exactly. different players. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, why would you bring in? Why would you bring a director of football in that doesn't necessarily have a, res- a relationship? I mean, they, they, it says that you know Michael Emanella is a is a fan of Eddie Howe. I mean, that's what's reported. I mean, is he really? I don't know. It, it obviously, is is the good narrative to go with right now? If 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 uh, if he does get appointed, um, yeah. So it's an interesting one. I I just think they've they've made it their plan soon enough i think that's that's probably the problem that's probably why they weren't able to get probably the number one or number two or number three or number five candidate <laughs> it kind of sounds like they did in reverse order right it would make sense yes. you, get the, you get the director yeah. of football first yeah i agree i yeah. totally agree um i heard they were after arsene wenger before just before they were about to take over there was talk that wenger was going to come in to sort everything out from fifa to help them behind the scenes and the other thing that's probably going to happen i wouldn't mm-hmm. say they'll try and emulate the um the city group because of Brexit and the players not 
not able to come in under the age of um, 18 these days in the Premier League. There's big things. I think that's helping the City group enormously. I know you can have sister clubs and feeder clubs, but um, like I've said in the past, it's a, I think it's a huge opportunity for an A-League club, especially the Newcastle Jets, to try and get in that front door at Newcastle United. So, you know, could we be one of the, the feeder clubs for, for you guys? Mm. Would be interesting. It'd be good times for us. I mean, uh, Tommy, you played for one of those feeder clubs, Melbourne City, but I want to ask you about Manchester City at the moment because before we look forward to the week coming up, let's look back quickly at the weekend. Manchester Derby, everyone was excited for it. We kind of all had a bit of a feeling how it was going to go, but City, Pep Guardiola didn't even have to make a change for the entire game. Every single player on the park had more touches than the United players. There was a stage in the game where United had more shots at their own goal than they did at the opposition's <laughs> goal. Tommy, was this uh, as expected or, or did a blowout even more than, than we originally thought? Yeah, I think it was exactly what we expected. I, I just hope that United, because it's a local derby, we, we know that form sort of goes out the window. I was hoping that they could mount a challenge. Um, uh, but, you know, we, we, you know, after 15, 20 minutes, you could see that uh, that was not going to happen the way they set up, how far back they were. And uh, just the way City you know, just took total control. It, it was like watching a killer whale playing with a, with a seal, you know, just, you know, yeah, it, you know, that's how it felt. You know, it's just like wow. a group of killer whales just throwing the seal around. I think, you know. Wow. I've, I've never seen that before. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. but, it's uh, a great you know. documentary. It's actually some good stuff. <laughs> National Ge- Geographic. There you go. And- you know, I think United, uh, yeah, they were in for hiding. The way they set up, uh, obviously trying to, shot down the center of the pitch, um, you know, trying to limit the space in front of goal with, with obviously the three center halves, let Man City play it out wide, but you got to, got to be able to defend crosses then, you know, and, and at the moment, just there's so much lacking and, and, and Man City, fair play to them. If De Gea hadn't pulled off a, a few good saves in the first half, they, they would have been four or five up and, and well-deserved. You couldn't argue. It would have been another Liverpool game. So, um, that was incredible because I think me and Claude were chatting during the week. Claude, remember we looked at the X results between the two clubs and it was, you know, in United's favour. Yeah. And I said to you, I've got a feeling they're going to get smashed and I, I've got a feeling they could um, replicate the Liverpool result. De Gea stopped it from being the Liverpool result. Liverpool were far more clinical, but I think City were far more dominant than what Liverpool were in this game. And I agree with Tommy, like De Gea kept this from being embarrassing. Well, he's one for you, Bridget, because he did keep it from being embarrassing. Everyone's been saying before the season and even during that City are one striker away from being probably the best team in the Prem, if not the world. Do they even need that striker? Are they playing better now without an out-and-out forward? Or you think they still need a Harry Kane or an Erling Haaland or one of those? I think they would take a, an Erling Haaland or Harry Kane, definitely, because it gives you another another out, another outlet, a plan B as well. And what I've got to credit Guardiola, and like I say, he's on a different stratosphere when you don't have a number nine and how he's able to adapt and get the players to buy in and start playing the way he wants them to play or the way his staff want them to play. And they, they take it on board. And, the, the you know, it's it's like the conduct. He has another one, like the Seals playing with the whatever it was, Killer Whales. You know, the conduct of an orchestra when they just, you know, everybody is singing off the same hymn sheet. And that's what Guardiola and his staff seem to be able to do with the players. And that is not an easy on, task. A conductor of an orchestra is actually, they're all mu- musicians. They're not singing, are they? Because they're an orchestra. Well, whatever they're doing, Schwartzy, you. I'm just trying saying, to sound clever, Schwartzy. Let him sound clever. Yeah. Okay. No, so whatever they do. Saying. You know, the guy with the arms that does all this and he ting to ting to ting, dang, 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 and all that. And he, what does he do? He ting to ting, ting, ding, dang. <laughs> and he tells everybody what time to come in and when to play their bit of music. It's like Pep Guardiola 
on the sideline. You know what I'm trying to say. And it's not an easy job and he does it. And that's why he's an absolute genius of the game because to have a plan up here in your head and have it on your laptop and the computers or whatever they do with it and then to go out and put that into, into reality with the players to understand it um, yeah. is, is brilliant. I, no, listen, I, I, I agree, right? So there's no doubting how good he is, right? Absolutely no doubting. But, you, you know, you, when you spend over a billion pounds, you'd expect to, to, to have a very good team, right? Yeah, um, I've no doubt about it. It's some of the still, best players in the world. It still so, doesn't mean that they're all going to do their own thing because no, Ole Gunnar no, Solskjaer, Man United, has got just as much money and has just as much talent on the field. And yet when they were playing Man whoa, City, whoa, playing whoa, two, not, wild, mm, two wide I'm players... Sure. I'm, I'm not, not too sure. sure. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to agree with that. The tactical mindset of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in that game when he had a back five in a line and the players were absolutely petrified, the centre-halves in Bay um, and Maguire, to actually leave that line because of what happened when they got smashed against Liverpool. They looked so uncertain of their jobs. And that comes down to the manager and the staff at that football club because they've given them no direction and they look absolutely shit-scared. I, don't, I, I agree with you in that regard, but I don't agree with you by what you said in terms of they both have similar quality on the pitch. They don't because Man City are streaks and miles ahead of the quality, man for man across the whole squad than Man United because Man United have got some brilliant players, no doubt about it, but they're, they're certainly not the same level as Man City or Chelsea for that well, matter. Well, what, here's Liverpool. one for you then. What's happened to Sancho? Because we were raving about him, Swartz. You saw him regularly. What has happened to him? Um, you- uh, the manager's obviously got no belief in him. I don't get it. Donny van, van der Beek, take two. I, I don't get it. I honestly do not understand it. So surely um, that would be worrying signs for the board and the owners going, hang on a minute. Yeah, we just spent a lot of money maybe, on players. Maybe there's something we don't know. Maybe maybe something's gone on behind behind the scenes. Uh, that's the only thing I can put it down to because I, I'm I'm just so I'm 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 shocked by by the way it is with Donny van der Beek and um with Jane Sancho. I can't I can't work it out. Yeah, but also the, the system, you know, does it suit uh, Sancho? I think, you know, that's that's the problem. I think, you, you know, this game reminded me of when I was at Stoke City and Tony Pulis set us up to go to, 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 to play Manchester City away. <laughs> and we worked all week with a back five and, and limit the space in the beer. And it was just a, an onslaught. And, and, and I'm thinking, this is Man United. They, yeah. like, like you said, Swartz, the amount of money they've spent, the quality of players, you know, that... They were supposed to have, and then this this is the way you set up. Uh, um, yeah, I just don't get it at home in a local derby. I think it's mm. embarrassing, and and it turned out that way as well. Tommy, you agreed well, actually, with the lack of players. Surprise! I'm surprised they didn't lose by more. Sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah, no. they should have. Yeah. You guys both agree that they don't have the level of talent that City have. But so we were talking about this with Bridget the other day. Would any of these United players, let's say besides Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe, would any of these United players start in that City team? Uh, I, I think you'll find, you know, you could find room, but they wouldn't go straight in. It would be a like-for-like like swap. I, I can't really put no. put someone in. No, the, no. Yeah. Not, not on present form, but put no. Fernandez or somebody in that. Or a yeah, player. I think so. I think no, the, Fernandez the, has been terrible this season. The only player, the only player that would go into the city side right now is potentially just because of his goal scoring record is Cristiano Ronaldo as a number nine. And obviously they wanted to sign him, didn't they? Well, that was the only one I picked out with Claude the other day. But thinking about what Pep could do with a Fernandez or somebody, I think, yeah. Yeah, but I I don't know. I, I don't even know whether... It's a good debate, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't he have gone for him in the first place? 
You know, there's a reason why he didn't go from, you know, why they, they weren't interested in him. Maybe, maybe, maybe because they've got adequate players in those positions. Who knows? But, you know, yeah. he, listen, Pep Guardiola's got an incredible squad he's disposal. What he does incredibly well is manage them and keeps them on side. I mean, the only one that's the anomaly right now in Man City is Raheem Sterling. So mm. there's something obviously gone amiss there. However, um, no doubting it, you know, to be successful as he's been, to have that group of players together, uh, Jürgen Klopp, uh, Pep Guardiola, Thomas Tuchel, um, you know, these guys manage these big squads and these players and keep them on board. That I mean, that's an, that's an art in itself. Hmm. Well, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer underperforming. Bridgie, one man who is performing, David Moyes with West Ham. You predicted Liverpool. I predicted West Ham in this one. I was honestly just taking a punt in the dark, though. I don't think I even expected it to happen. They came out 3-2 winners against Liverpool. Bit of a reality check for Jurgen Klopp. How did you find this one? Was this Liverpool not up to their best or West Ham showed that they're real top four contenders? There was one thing we both agreed on, and that was there would be goals and it would be entertaining. And it was. It was just a special game. And, you know, the fact that West Ham got the result, I was actually delighted for them because I've really enjoyed watching them um, this season. The things that they are doing in the Moyes and, the, and you know, the, to get one over on Liverpool, the way that they have been playing this season, that is huge. And I don't think Liverpool dropped their game. I think that West Ham took it to them and they, they, were, they were fearless. They weren't scared like Man United were against City that we've talked about. And they got the decisions. The decisions went in their favour in this game. And sometimes you need a little bit of that. Um, the, you've got two goalkeepers here as well. I've heard Jurgen Klopp going ballistic about that first goal. For me, I don't see an issue with it. I've seen worse decisions given. Um, I didn't see too much of anything, so it'll be interesting to see what the boys say about that. But overall, I've got to say, West Ham, I, I credit them. And now they are definitely serious contenders this season for that top four. Tommy, have Liverpool got to be a bit worried about their defensive playoff set pieces? Was that just a one-off? I mean, you saw from a goalkeeper's point of view, there was question marks whether it was a foul on Allison, but is there anything to worry about from Liverpool there? Um, I, I think, yeah, you, you, you know, you got to question Allison. I think, I think, uh, Bridge is spot on. You know, even though I'm, I'm a long-term member of of the goalkeeping club, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I would protect the goalkeepers any day. I think again, West Ham do they do a brilliant job, um, and it's probably one of the toughest teams. To to defend against for set, for set plays, they they remind me of, and and Swartz will remember the good old Bolton days with Kevin Davis, Kevin Nolan, um, and 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 the job Antonio does on the goalkeeper is is brilliant. He 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 stands there, he anticipates, he nudges the goalkeeper just enough for you, you know, for your timing to be off, and then he seeks. Uh, you know, he sort of drifts off and tries to sort of pick up a second ball or a deflection. Um, but he does exactly enough on every single corner. We even you even see it on on um, I think it's a, the third goal, the header. Mm. You know, he he still he just impedes Allison enough without you know he <laughs> and it, it's it's hard. You know, some players and and actually I would say ninety percent of players can't do that job to 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 that level, and he does it brilliantly. Um, and yeah, as I said, from my experience, uh, I used to hate playing against Kevin Nolan, you know, a, a big guy that you can't move, who, who anticipates the ball flight, who, who just steps in your path at the right time. It, it, these players deserve a lot of credit and he's a big part in, 
in impeding the keeper and the goals they scored at the, at the weekend. So uh, it, it's it's tough to be hard on Liverpool because I think they're generally okay on set plays. But yeah, um, Allison needs to be stronger in that situation for sure. Uh, I I actually yeah I don't think it was a foul either. Um, he certainly was nudged around. He was certainly brushed. His arm was brushed by Antonio initially, and then also by um, uh, who was it that sort of gets in front of him? Abona, Abona, and so there is there is a slightest slightest of touch, and I actually think like Thomas was saying there, like you know, Allison needs to do better, and he he he'll know that. I think he was so distracted by those guys, he actually it, it, they distracted him from him doing his job, and then when it came to it, he was I think he was caught out a bit. Um, obviously, he was caught out. You know, he to me he wasn't focused enough on dealing with the danger and the cross. And obviously, then he, then his confidence had gone slightly, and then the second half, the same thing with the far, with the with the with the uh, the third goal. You can see he commits. You know, I think he almost takes like a step forward. And certainly, his body movement was going forward, and then all of a sudden, he realizes it's over the back of him, and he just couldn't get back and make the save, um, and so couldn't get uh, to the cross, which he should have. So yeah, and it is really tough. It, it, it is tough to be in those dwells, right? And I don't think Allison has had many of them. I don't think there's many teams that have come up against him and done that to him. So he's not going to be ready for it. When you played against Stoke and when you played against Bolton, you knew exactly what you were in for. You actually prepared for it leading up to it. Not that it made it, not that you were able to deal with it necessarily, <laughs> but you just knew what you were going to face, right? So there was a level of expectation of what was going to happen to you. But I don't think Allison was expecting that sort of physical contact um, in that box. But again, I, I think I think it wasn't a foul either. Claude, mm. my job is done. Three three seasons of the Gagan pod, and I've got two goalkeepers agree that there wasn't a foul on the goalkeeper. Mic drop. See us later. Thanks for the time. <laughs> hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mate, where are you going? <laughs> I got I to gotta ask you something before you go, Bridgie, mate. I got to ask you something about this West Ham side. They're, they're now equal second, three points behind Chelsea. You can smell potentially a fairy tale, but I think any sort of European football will be a great result for them. They're looking good. But a few of their players were left out of this England squad and there were question marks raised about, uh, talking about this big club bias. People like Jared Bowen were left out and you saw Fikayo Tomori, who's been so good for AC Milan, left out of the squad. Tyrone Mings is in. Greenwood's out. What's going on? What, what have you made of Gareth Southgate's squad selection now as we move into the international break coming up this weekend? I'm not going to say anything bad against Southgate um, because he's doing a fantastic job. And but. he's got a he's got a lot of players. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's got a lot of players to pick from, and that is a, such a luxury to have. And that is a novelty. We we only discuss in the right back position. It's you know competition for players is great. However, when I see the likes of Mings getting in, and I, I agree that they that when you're not performing, that is a bit of a dodgy one. And the boy Bowen, he's in my fantasy league team every week. He picks up points. 
He, what I like about Bowen, his work ethic with and without the ball, he's a super player and he just gets better every season uh, and every game that he plays and he's having an impact in. That was a big standout for me. I was surprised that he didn't give a chance because, you know, Bamford got an opportunity as well when he was doing well for Leeds United. Um, he came in as a bit of a wild card and I thought Bowen justified a position in there. And I, I would have, he would have been the one I would have put in there, definitely. But Bridget, at the assist at the weekend, he holds up four players uh, you know, at full speed, and then yeah. he slips it through to Fornells. I, I think that you know, just in that, that that showed his quality of yeah. of his speed, the confidence and, and that he is playing with yeah. Tommy at this moment in time. Yeah. It's that that's huge. And when you're playing with that kind of confidence um, to get him inside the England setup, uh, I thought it would have been nice and, and rewarding and justified. I think what Gareth does, and he has been doing it pretty much the whole time he's been there. Once he's found his squad of players, and they're doing okay for the, their teams he still kind of sticks with them because they, they've done it for him at international level. If you, I think the best example, one of the best examples is, is Jordan Pickford. So domestically with his club, he wasn't playing well and had like 12 months, 18 months where he struggled. But he was continuously picked again for England. And when he played for England, he played well and has never let England down. So I think Gareth, in a lot of ways, makes those selection decisions based on the same, on the same theory. That's why Tyron Mings is in there because during the Euros, he didn't let England down. He didn't let Gareth down. And I think that's arguably at times more important that you've got players, that you know their personalities, you know what they, they can do and can't do, and you feel like you can rely on them any moment. And they kind of know their position in the squad. But I agree with you, Jared Bowen is certainly unlucky. But I think yeah. if he plays well between now and the next the next sort of round, then I think there's a uh, be internationals. In, I think he's got a good chance of getting because yeah. if you think about it, I don't know. Last season, Jared Bowen played well, but he certainly hadn't been at the same level as he's playing this season. I don't think is that right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, very no, fair. Definitely. And I think he's grown with the team. I think you see a lot yes. of players in that, in that West Ham side who is, you know, who's come from, you know, uh, you know, smaller settings, and now with, yeah. with West Ham moving up, their their level has come up as well. So, because so, there's a certain level of. I mean, certainly I believe anyway with the national team, you, you, there's got to be a certain level of just because you play well for, say, five months, does that mean necessarily you should be collect, you know, selected for your national team and play in the national team? I think there's a certain period of you need to earn the right and deliver at a level for a certain amount of time before that even is discussed about. I just think too easily, too quickly people get... I mean, look, you look at Patrick Bamford, like you mentioned, he had a great season last season in terms of goal return, right? And it took him almost over a year to get in an England side or get a game or game and get called up for the national team. So uh, I think I think that's pretty much, I think what Gareth has done is pretty consistent. Whether you believe, whether you think it's the right thing or not is another thing, but I think he's been consistent in the way he selects his players. Yeah, but also what we have to remember with national team, because you only have X amount of training sessions, continuity is so important. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you, if you swap all the time, you know, going into they've got maybe three training sessions leading up to games. So if if you got to then implement two or three, four, five new players every time, it's it's just not possible. So I, I quite like that. You know, the managers stick to to a sort of at least a, a core of players, and then you can always draft in one or two for 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 every game. Well, another manager who's sticking to his core group, your boys, Tommy, Denmark, they're in action again on Optus Sport this weekend. And their qualifying campaign is just remarkable. I don't remember ever seeing anything like this. They've got to be on track for some sort of record. Eight games, eight wins. They've scored 27 goals and they haven't conceded yet. 
They've if still got to play. Anybody can do it. The Faroe Islands can do it. Well, that's what I was going to say. They've still got to play Faroe Islands and Scotland. Richard, I was just going to go opposite and say they've definitely got to continue that with against the Faroe Islands. But yeah, as you say, they'll probably score. And <laughs> they've got the Faroe Islands and Scotland, so this could get yeah. uh, downright ugly. But this Danish squad, it looks like a great unit. I was watching the Serie A on the week on Simon Kier. Seems like he's really going into that upper echelon of centre backs in world football. Are they starting to dream of something special at the World Cup next year? I think they should, uh, you know, they, they should be optimistic for sure. You know, if they can keep, uh, you know, people fit. I think Dam's guy is, is injured at the moment. He's he's had an operation, a, a small one. So, uh, but but other than that, you know, they, they just got, again, continuity. They got this, this the same spine of players. Obviously, Smeichel has been great for them. Uh, as you said, Simon Kier, Christensen, who I think is one of the, you know, best uh, underrated centre-halves in the world and, and in the Premier League as well. And then you look at Heiberg up all the way up to they probably lack a striker, I would say. That that's that's the only downside. They lack Yusuf Polson. How can you say uh, that? What a legend, nah, Yusuf Polson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, he's I'm, a Leipzig, I'm, he's I'm, an RB Leipzig legend, mate. I tell you what, okay, I, that's I, I'm, fair I'm enough, a big but... fan. I, I love his work rate. I think he's, oh, no, he's no, no. so versatile. I think he's oh. I, I like him. And that, that's what Denmark has. You know, they, they have yeah. versatility. You know, they, they have three or four um you know, uh, Jensen at, at uh, Brentford, um, you know, so they've, they've got players that they can pop in. But I just, you know, in those big games, if you play France at the World Cup or you, you need some player that, that sort of, you know, has that X factor. You know, we used to have Nicholas Bender, love him or hate him, but but he used to come up with 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 a crucial goal, Yondal Thomason in the past. And I think this team, great collective, a great high quality of players, but they, I think they're just lacking that that killer striker when we get to quarterfinals, semifinals um, at, at a big tournament. So, but that, you know, Denmark, and this is what we're talking about. This is what I'm, you know, I'm talking about now. I can't really believe that, you know, we're, 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 we're you know, how far Yulman has taken his team. So it's just fantastic. So we're, we're enjoying it in Denmark. Well, I love Casper Dolberg, but he's been struggling a little bit for game time yeah, at Nice. Yeah, and he's you know, a lot of injuries, injuries yeah. as well. He he just seems to, you know, like at the Euros, pops up and then he gets injured and yeah. it's in and out. So sadly. Yeah, yeah. Well, Denmark in action, England in action. That's all on Optus Sport. But Schwartzy, you've played a couple of games from Australia in your time. And I want to talk about the Socceroos who are back in action, finally back on home soil as well after two years. And before we dive into the squad and all that, there's a lot of optimism around our home record. And I wanted to ask you, why is our home record so well? You've experienced playing around Asia, around all, all around Oceania, World Cups, everything. How come when we step on home soil, teams struggle to come here? Is it the fact that it's the long travel or do our boys just step up when they're in front of their families and all the rest? Uh, there's a combination of things, I think. Um, most, most teams, you, know, like, you think about it, most teams have got decent home records, right? I think for, for a lot of the uh, teams in Asia, it's it's a climate change. For Believe it or not, for a lot of them, it's really cold being in Australia. Mm. Um, we talk about going to to places in Asia and trying to play football where it's so, so hot, um, humid. The conditions of football pitches are really tough to play in. Um, even to a degree, when, when, when I was playing for the Socceroos, we certainly played on a lot of pitches, even on home soil, that were not international level because they played a a rugby league match or a rugby union match or something or a cricket game or whatever the day before. And that happened so many times and it made our job certainly um, a little bit more difficult. Um, 
but yeah, so I think it's a combination of intimidation as well, because Australia is one of the big big dogs in, in Asia, right? So so everyone sees it as a real challenge, a, a major scalp if they can get a result against Australia, and they kind of tend to come a little bit more defensive. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's more about the fact that the travel as well, they, they struggle with, it, with that bit of extra travel. Tommy, looking at this Australian squad after they've, they've lost to Japan most recently, they've got them hot on their heels. Something tells me Japan won't lose too many more games from here on out. How crucial is this game at home to Saudi Arabia and then the following match against China for our boys? Oh, massive. Uh, I was just sad to, that you know, Aaron Moy can't, uh, you know, can't be there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's a, a massive mess. So, you know, I, I played with him uh, at Melbourne City and, and what he's done since uh, the creativity, set plays. Uh, but again, I think they're in a good spot. And, and as Mark said, you know, that the travel, you need to take advantage. There'll be a great crowd in, in Sydney. Um, and, you know, the, you need to win these games, you know, to qualify. And, and I'm sure they'll be confident. I think they look solid, uh, suited at the back and, and set plays as well. So you always got that in a bag. You know, if it's the tight game, you know, you can, you know, you, you can rely on a little bit like West Ham. You can rely on, on, on a, you know, on that physicality uh, in, in those situations. And, and I, I don't expect Saudi Arabia to be able to deal with it. You know, that they'll be trying to play, you know, technical and, and a little bit like that Arabian style of, of football. So uh, I think you can, you can put some physicality in there and, and get on top of them. Bridgie, you saw the Socceroos lose to Japan in the most recent game. And I think some question marks maybe were raised on the way we went to Japan and set up. And I thought I thought the Japanese played very well and they do- dominated proceedings when it came to a possession standpoint, as they so often do. Should we be worried at the moment with the current style of play or results of Australia? Or are you feeling pretty confident as well for your adopted nation to make no. their fifth straight World Cup? No, very confident. And when you've got a run like that and a, and a record that they've been on, um, it, it just spreads confidence. Um, amongst the players and you know the Japan game you've just said it there technically yes very very much um, you know an established nation the manager was having a few a few issues there uh, you know he was under pressure and they just seemed to turn it on that night uh, against Australia uh, in the Socceroos but I've got to say I thought it was a very very even battle do you know when you look at the the stats and things Australia weren't outplayed they weren't outdone we dominated the possession we had uh, equal amount of shots as well it's just that they were more clinical on the night and at some point Japan the pressure was on the manager the players went out there and performed I think it's going to be a, a, a tough game against Saudi Arabia don't uh, uh, understand what Tommy was saying there but it's going to be interesting to see the the bounce back ability that word that was invented by um, I think it was Ian Holloway to see how they're going to bounce back and get back to that winning way um, and and do it and I think the home advantage is huge. Tommy's just mentioned there with the with the crowds being back, everybody wanting to get behind the sport. So it was, I think the boys will, will lift from that. Um, and Arnie will have them switched on and ready to go because you, you can't just say one result against a nation that is a very, very powerful nation in Japan. They've had a slip up early on, um, but th- this will kickstart their um, qualification, no doubt about it. So we've got a little kicker on them and going into the Saudi game. I'm going to say Socceroos, two goals to one, will get the victory. Let's hope so. I mean, it feels like a must-win game when you still got to play yeah. top of the group home and away. Like- the physicality that he was talking about there as well with Suter and Trent Sainsbury from set players, I think that's going to be in, in, invaluable. Mm. Well, Schwartzy, Johnny Stensness, who played for New Zealand at a youth level, has been called up into the Socceroos now. 
he's hopefully maybe potentially handed his first cap. But is there anyone you think missed out on this squad or anyone that Arnie's got to be looking at in the next few months? It, it's tricky with the A-League at the moment. He's still called up a few A-League players, I think just purely because he has to. He doesn't have anyone else to pick from. But uh, who else should he be looking at in the months to come? Well, I know, I know you'll definitely be looking at a player that he had at the Olympics. Um, I actually caught up with him last week who is absolutely on fire for hearts, um, Cam, Cam mm. Devl- Devlin. And he's done incredibly well. Um, they, I mean, there wasn't a person. I mean, whenever he mentioned his name, uh, people people come over to him and said to me, you know, what are you doing up here in Scotland? What are you doing in Edinburgh? I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm catching up with one of your players. And they were just like, oh, what a player. You know, how incredible has he been now? You know, his work rate, his fighting spirit, um, the way he's transfer- transformed the midfield. Um, so, yeah, I've got no doubt he'll be – he certainly is on the radar and he won't be far off if he continues doing what he's doing and, and, and playing as well as he has for Hearts. And, Tommy, Johnny has been called up to the squad after leaving Australia and going overseas. He's playing in Norway. And I actually did speak to Arnie as well last week. And, and it was interesting about how the current Dang situation God. with <laughs> the current situation with the A-League means he can't really pick new players because they're just not playing regular football week in, week out. It's been pushed out again this season. So do Australian players have to leave Australia and go play for in leagues that aren't necessarily the top in Europe, but just to give themselves the best chance to make the Socceroos team? Do they have to leave? Uh, I think it depends on the, what terms. Uh, you know, again, I, I still think that the, the A League is a good good spot. I think the the problem is, you know, now the season has moved. Uh, you know, hopefully in years to come, you know, when it starts to expand, you know, you you're looking at at Lecky, uh, Jamie McLaren, who, who's come back. Um, so for some players, uh, you know, they adapt quickly and they they become successful. Uh, John Rowe. Um, you know, has, uh, did well there. Um, you know, and, and has, has sort of created a bit of a, a career. So, so it, it it sort of swings and roundabouts. It's a tough decision because it's a different environment. Like it, it's very protected in the A League, uh, and you know you're going to play games. If you go abroad, uh, you got to get your elbows out and be ready to fight because there there'll be plenty who wants to take your position. Mm. Um, but you know, again, if you want a big future in football, you, you can't you can't stay in Australia forever. So, so I, mm-hmm. I encourage people if they have the right credentials, you know, that they should really go and 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 try it. Uh, Swartzy and Claude, you you'll um, Swartzy was on this new documentary. What's the new doco about the the ex players? Striking gold, the Premier League one. Yes, or, striking yeah. gold. I, I was watching that on the Optus Sport um, app yesterday, and you know, twenty five minutes to give me a little understanding of the. I obviously played with Harry Kuehl and Mark Viduka. I knew the quality in the history, but there was some good stuff to come out of that about the future and the development of where we go in Australia and how the A League was meant to, you know, catapult players getting more games on home soil, but because of the competition being so small and a little bit diluted and it's taken longer to get back to what the old NSL used to be like, where players would come through at a high quality uh, and be able to go overseas. It it was just showing the stumbling blocks of where players are going. There's more money available in Asia. I thought it was a very, very good insight for somebody that didn't really understand what the NSL was all about and how many games and how these, these clubs were, culture you live there you've lived and breathed it a bit like what i'm used to back home i think the elite clubs are still you know have been developing it doesn't just happen overnight and i'm hoping with the expansion and the leagues trying to align with more more um european football going through the the summer period um will help the development because it was really sad to see nobody on the team sheet from australia in the premier league last weekend yeah 
it is it is a concern. We, we've talked about lots over the years, and and I and I said it many many years ago that the A League. Um, as good as it's been domestically, it's great for football in Australia, but it, it also can hinder some of the players um, going forward and going overseas. Players that probably, you know, the old insult, the A-League is wonderful because players are able to become professional, earn a decent amount of money and still be in Australia. Yeah. So some players will possibly have less desire to leave and really push the, push the boat out there and yeah. really try and get themselves to another level. Then you add the fact uh, add the mix that we joined Asia in 2007. And obviously the, the avenues that opened up for going to Asia are, are enormous, right? So we, we know that there are various areas around Asia where you can earn lots and lots of money and, and, and players who have maybe no European passport or, or certainly feel that, okay, there's too much money that I, can, I can't turn down for, you know, for the sake of one year, two years or whatever it is to go to Asia Whereas in the years gone by, certainly when I was growing up, the, the opportunities to go to Asia were so few and far between. Yes, yeah. there were some players that went Japan, to Japan, but not many because they didn't have a lot of foreigners. Mm-hmm. Um, the Plus, vast- see what you've got to take on board now is the Brexit, the Brexit situation. Under 18s can't just go into Europe like, uh, sorry, not can't go into England like Harry Kuehl was able to at a younger age. You've got you've got to go via Europe and another avenue rather than yeah. I mean in that, there. that's yeah that's just one avenue that's obviously been been hindered right. And the Premier League is the Premier League right, and 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 obviously there's a natural attraction for Aussies to go there, but you have to be at a certain level to be able to play at that level to get into the Premier League. You know, one thing is to be there and 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 be involved in a squad and everything else, but if you've got no chance of playing, that that's difficult, right? So what I've also really liked is the fact that we've got a lot of Australian players and have even over the last couple of years, particularly a lot of Aussies going to Scotland. And the great thing about it is the vast majority of them are playing, you know, and and having opportunities to play. Um, So maybe that's our New England for now until they potentially make that next step up again. And that's Um, what the national coach, Graham Arnold, still is going on about in this country. We do not play enough games. So I think he'll be delighted that the players that are going over to Scotland are playing that amount of games now. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. The intensity, um, the the atmosphere of playing in in, in a a country that's football mad, Uh, the fans, the, the, the stadiums that are only for football teams the football teams only play there no one else plays there um you know that, that's all the issues that we'll always have in australia until such time as teams have their own stadiums and don't anyone else play on them but that, that's another thing altogether I, I just think not playing enough games having three months of preseason, um it is what it is and and they've done incredibly well and hopefully hopefully over time um sooner rather than later and obviously now with the the a-league being by itself and setting everything up and and hopefully it can develop even further there will be more teams involved, more games, and hopefully the quality will get better even more so. And it will create even more avenues and opportunities for young players coming through to then go on to bigger and better things. And hopefully they will all want to play in the, the best leagues in the world. And that's there, Europe. There was a really interesting point that Arnie brought up about us going back to Oceania. That's his opinion that that would be a good move, which I thought was very interesting. But I don't agree with that. I actually would, don't agree with that at all. He's he's reasoning right. I I I can't say I agree with it either. But his reasoning for it was that when he took charge of the Oliroos, 
and yeah, now with the Socceroos. Exactly right. He's saying World Cups and these players stuff. have yeah. no experience. They get to Socceroos level. They've never played three games in a week. They've never played South American opposition. They've never felt World Cup football. Whereas once upon a time, you guys at least played 17s, 20s, Oliroos. By the time you got yeah. to Socceroos, you were ready for that. Do you think that's valid? Does different. that sound like we're just throwing in the towel and saying Asia's too yeah, hard? It's very different. <laughs> it's very, well, Asia's not too hard. When I say, when I say it's not too hard, it is very hard, right? But it hasn't been too hard. We've qualified every time. At senior you know, level. When we were in Oceania, when we were in Oceania, we 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 didn't. We we only qualified like what twice. And the last yeah. time was 2005 for the 2006 World Cup. So I think it would be a massive step backwards. Yes, our younger teams would have experiences of playing in international football. But I'll tell you now, me playing an under 16s World Cup back in 1989 did not get me ready for playing a World Cup qualifier for the full for the soccer roots, right? Okay. I didn't play at the under 20s World Cup. I, I was injured and, and then I had to withdraw from it was the better goalkeepers. <laughs> and there were better goalkeepers as well because Bozzer was the number one. Um, so I I don't think, yes, it gives you an experience, but it doesn't prepare you for playing for the full national team, playing for the Socceroos. No, in World Cup qualifiers, absolutely not. What does is playing at the highest level, leaving Australia, mm. playing in Europe. Mm. Because Australia will never be the number one league in the world for football, right? No. Let's be honest. Certainly not none of our lifetime. That, that, that'll, that's, that's a given for me. But... Um, it certainly can improve and get better and better and better. So, but hopefully we still have a lot of players coming through and dreaming about playing at the highest level and not necessarily be just taking second best and, and chasing the short term. And it's hard because you, you know, a lot of money up for grabs. I get it. I, I totally understand it. Um, I suppose for me, it was easy because it was another option. Hmm. So, you, you know, and, and, and the issue, uh, well, one of the problems, if you want to call it a problem, is that players have options now. And, and sometimes that can be detrimental to someone's development because they may make the wrong decision if they've got too many options. Well, I just feel, Tommy, you experienced the A-League most recently, and I just feel like what really has to happen, in my opinion, is that maybe the days have changed. I know Bridgie and I have spoken about this in the office, that times are different now for whatever reason. Maybe it's more players available. Maybe it's the different visa scenarios in Europe, but there are there is more to pick from for European clubs. And I, I'm of the belief that Australians need to try and play in the A-League at first grade level and be sold to European opposition rather than going with a backpack on and asking for a trial. Tommy, do you think that's got to be the way forward? You know, I think the um, the, the level in Europe um, on a broader base is is uh, you know is a lot higher than it was, um, and I actually think that de- development wise, Australia has taken uh, a step back uh, compared to a lot of nations. Uh, you know, you're looking at the time when when Swartzy came through and, and Bridget were talking about, you know, the club culture and and how you, how players were brought through to. To, to now the pathways is a lot more muddy. Um, you know, we're seeing the academies now with Melbourne City, Western United, sorry, Western Sydney. It's slowly starting to get some traction, but there's still a lot of grassroots uh, development that sort of just gets lost because there's no structure, not enough pitches, like Swartzy said, uh, having to compete, uh, you know, with other sports, not playing for six months of the year. So I think actually... You know, for Australia to get back on track, I think you need to get all that in place, and that's going to take time. Uh, but the Socceroos is a driving force because that's what makes young kids want to play football. You know, you know, yeah. you look up, you look, you look up to your heroes, and like the Matildas, we've seen what what effect they have on on young girls, and um, uh, and and this that's what needs to that's what needs to happen. I think for for the men's as well. 
you know what I would like to see happen as well? Um, which I think was a, a huge thing in my my development as a kid. We used to play what, in a Tottenham, lot of Tottenham win the Premier League. I'll, I'll never, I won't see it in my <laughs> lifetime. I won't see it in my lifetime. It's um, youth tournaments and pre-season tournaments, youth tournaments. I used to love the development of me playing against other clubs from around Europe in youth tournaments. I would love to see the A-League clubs actually embrace an opportunity to go and showcase their talent from their academies. Instead of a kid putting on a backpack, it's a way that the clubs can go, you know what it is, let's go and see if we can participate in a tournament where we know there's going to be um, some quality there. And the only club that I've seen do it when I went to Hong Kong um, initially was Wellington Phoenix. They went and showcased in the playing against Atletico Madrid, Newcastle United, Leicester was in the Hong Kong Soccer Sevens. Go go and try and com- compete or get some matches against teams in Europe. You're showcasing yourselves. You're giving the experience to the players. And what you are doing, you're also putting every player on notice to the other clubs to say, if there's any players that stand out, we'll keep an eye on them. You can have them in the future. That's that's how you develop relationships with other clubs and it gives players and clubs opportunities. I would love to see the A-League clubs do that and spend a bit of money um, to go and take part in pre-season tournaments around the world. But, but I don't think I don't think A-League clubs necessarily are that. There are some, certainly, but necess- that's, that's not their number one priority. Number but one the priority development the of the education, their players will help that as well. And the coaches no, can chat with the coaches. There's and no get incentive knowledge. for them. That's the problem. There's no incentive for them. No. The players the players are on short-term contracts. Well, so there it's is not to like, sell right. the players. But they're, no, they're but, not on contracts yeah, long yeah, enough. Exactly. Yeah. What, the youth exactly. team players? The, I'm yeah. on about the, academy kids and that. The, 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 whole, yeah, the whole ethos, the whole setup and the mentality is that they're all on short-term contracts. I'm not talking about the A-League first team. I'm talking about their youth yeah, the youth teams. But even that, you can't sell them. What, what are you going to sell them yeah, for? Well, that's, yeah. yeah, that's what can't. That's the problem. Yeah, you can't. You, you, they have to be on a, on, a, on a pro contract if we can sell them anyway. And, he, so, and even once they get to that level, we don't get we don't get those five year contracts that they get no, in that's Europe. Right. So. And, and that's what I'm saying. So the short term, it's always a short term for for a lot of the A League clubs is to like, okay, how how competitive can we be in the A League? That's our number one priority. And I think for a lot of A League clubs, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is a lot of them are not that interested in playing the Asian Champions League either. Is that is that true? Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah, yeah. and then I can vouch I mean, for that. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't understand that. You know, you're trying to be at the highest level, play at the highest level, and and, and have success. I, I don't understand that. Mm. Um, but anyway, it is what it is. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's, as long as it's so, you know, if clubs continue to have that short term uh, outlook, you'll you'll have so many players that that will will go through the cracks. So many players will still put that backpack on and leave because. They don't see a pathway. I, I, I think unless you break into the into the, the A League as a young player, that's your pathway. Break in, sign for a year or two, play well for that year or two, and then leave on a free and join a club in Europe mm. or, or in Asia. That's that's the mentality for a lot of players. So clubs, you know, it's all about well, we're not, we don't make money out of them because they leave for free anyway, or they wait for their contract to go down. And they, but it's because they don't give them long enough contracts. You give a player, a young player, four or five year contract, and then sell him. You, mm. you've got a possibility to do that, but they don't. They don't take that risk on. Yeah, yeah. At least playing in the A-League, they get proper broadcast. You can see the players, you know, the, the clubs from Europe can actually see that it's a yeah. professional level of football. Gone yeah. are the days of your dad videotaping you from the grandstand. Well, exactly. You know? and, and a lot of players have come out of the A-League and gone and played in Europe and played in, in different parts of Asia. So so it is very much uh, a place where people, uh, clubs and, and foreign clubs will come in and go, right, we, we're looking in the A-League because there are players there who are decent enough, good enough to play at our level. Mm-hmm. And we can generally get them for next to nothing. 
Yeah. I'll leave you guys with a funny story because I'm going to lighten the mood. Actually, when I was playing, Schwartzy, there was a, there was a Marconi boy. I think Marconi Olympic. And uh, his, his dad used to film him. Hey, don't every- confuse that. Don't confuse that, right? It's all hey, Marconi Olympic. Get that right, man. I can't remember where, where we were at the time, but there was a dad that used to film his son, send him to clubs overseas. And he, he filmed, he put together this whole montage tape of his son playing. True story. I won't say the name. Sent it to a few clubs in the Premier League. And one of them was Blackburn Rovers. And they got back to him and they actually asked him about another player in the videotape and I they ended imagine. up signing him. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that before, actually. I've heard that same. I've heard that story before. Yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. But guys, look, I mean, we, 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 can, we can be all doom and gloom about, about the A-League as much as we want, but we do come to life when the Socceroos are in action, when the Socceroos are playing, we're excited. I have a feeling that when we chat next Tuesday, we're going to have Socceroos, England and Denmark all winning. I hope. Hopefully. Yeah, no, hopefully. No, no, crossed. Very realistic. Yeah. I mean, listen, then, the bottom line is as long as Australia win, that's the main thing, right? It's true. It's very true. Yeah, because England have already guys? qualified. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's easy. We wanna, it, uh, European uh, qualification is a bit of a joke. Let's be real. You know, as, as, as much as we qualify, if we lose to Faroe Islands at home, I think we're... <laughs> <laughs> well, your tough, one, your tough one comes after that against the manager. <laughs> yeah. He can go to Villa. He can go to Villa. <laughs> oh, brilliant, yeah. guys. Um, Close, before we go, quick yeah. one here. Yeah, I, yeah, chucked on. in, um, I chucked in last night. I was doing PLP feedback and they were asking me uh, about the next Aston Villa manager. I chucked in Ange Postacoglu. There you go. I give him a massive rap and I said, get him in. If Stevie Gerrard's good enough, get Ange in. Because I thought it was amazing to see the Celtic fans have embraced him and they've seen what he's all about. And they got his name in a Christmas song. That was amazing. How you can get Postacoglu into a song it just shows you, man. He's, he's won them over. So it's what do you think of that? Yeah, you know what? I, I heard them sing that song, exact same song, but for Brendan Rogers before. So, I like <laughs> oh, so it's, it's just getting recycled, is it? <laughs> just recycled. It's not a good omen. Oh, right. Not a good omen. <laughs> oh, he'll take it, though. He'll take it. No, it's good to see him doing well over there. He's won the fans over. Guys, I'm going to leave it there for today on the Gagan Pod. It's been an awesome chat. We've covered everything club football, international football, and on Optus Sport this week, we have international games from Friday all the way through to next Wednesday. So make sure you check that out. Big thank you to Mark Schwarzer, Thomas Sorensen, and Michael Bridges, as always, gentlemen. I'll see you next week. And guys, you can check out all the rest on the app if you haven't had enough of these lovely faces and voices. Check out all the rest on the app. Highlights, player cams, anything you could ever want. We'll see you next week on the Gagan Pod.